0: Welcome to episode 250 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we preview the NRL and NRLW Grand Finals. We check in on the Daly M's and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to the big episode 250 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fan's perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. We are finally here, Tish. Grand final weekend. You've got to be pumped for this one.
1: Oh yes, uh I am pumped because the NRL is going west. Go west. <laughs> Life is peaceful there. Go west. I don't that's uh, that's that's I think the don't know. But yeah, look, what a uh what a uh grand final I think we have on store. Um big brother versus little brother. I think some people called it like that. Um, you know, but Penrith versus Parramatta, and yeah, uh I've got to say two really good um Games they, uh, they sort of, uh, for long periods of the time, it was a bit hard to see who was going to win, but I think some interesting, uh, yeah, interesting games. And I think, yeah, we're finally here, Dr. T. We're finally in grand final week. Are you pumped?
0: Oh, look, absolutely. Finally, Tish, my crystal ball and <laughs> rugby league republic crystal ball has, uh, almost come to fruition. I've been tipping the eels for the last, I think, what, four years running to win the. <laughs> to win the grand final we we, we're in with a chance we're in with a maybe less than 50 50 chance but still a chance we are there we're in the big the big dance the last dance as they say uh the big Mm. the big show and uh we haven't been here since uh what was it 2009 the infamous you know the melbourne storm non-victory robbed the eels of a legitimate victory we came from nowhere this is the, the great jared Hain miracle run you'll see lots of highlights of it in uh on youtube whatever and we fell short at the grand final unfortunately i think the occasion got to them or shall i say the uh star-studded illegally uh put together team of melbourne storm stopped them in their tracks uh and look, I although it was a pretty good game at the end, if I remember correctly, they uh, they kind of were running over the top of the storm. Had the game gone on for another fifteen minutes, <laughs> ten or fifteen minutes, I think the Eels could have won that one. But no, look, it's an eighty-minute game. I think we we've all recognised that, and we keep saying that. Got to play for the full eighty, and no, no more than that. And so, uh, the Eels are finally here. The great, uh, the battle for the West, they call it. It's the, the battle that everyone says the NRL has wanted to uh, to see. Um, no doubt there'll be uh, ratings, b- ratings, records broken, I think, uh, especially with the Eels uh, not having been victors for 36 years, I believe. So some interesting, uh, yeah, look, in, an interesting game, an interesting day ahead. There's a lot to talk about, though. So, Tish, we've got an epic... 250 episodes let's just reflect for a minute there we have gone 250 episodes uh unbelievable congratulations tish let's just pat ourselves on the back for look i I was trying to google is it a sesquicentennial no i think it's 150 so we've gone one better we've got sesquicentenary centenary plus centenary i don't even know if there's an official word for 250 but look we've uh it's it's a lot of episodes isn't it (laughs) a long time Mm, yeah. Absolutely. How do you feel, yeah. mate? Do you feel old? Do you feel like a veteran podcaster?
1: Yeah, look, I do. I, I feel like we I mean, not not too many shows get to 250, let's be honest, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, let's, you know, uh, you know, like uh, I'm trying to think of that podcast that's got really famous, you know, the um yeah, the teacher's pet, right? Ten episodes, I think it was. Right. And then they had to finish it. But look at us here, <laughs> two hundred and fifty episodes, right? I mean, we're we're getting close to the Cameron Smith four hundred games. You know what I mean? And, that's right. Um, that's right. There's been a lot of injuries. There's been a few setbacks. There's been a couple of sin bins, I think. But I think overall, you know, it's it's great to done it. And I think, look, I couldn't have we couldn't have done it without each other. I'd, I'd say, Doctor T. So, um, <laughs> you know, so. Many have ridden us off. You know, there's lots including of ourselves, including, including ourselves, including ourselves, including ourselves. That's right, that's right. But we fought, we fought in the game. We stood there, and you know, this is uncharted territory for us. We don't know what we're doing. We're just bush podcasters, right? Is that a? <laughs> <laughs> we're, from, we're from the the Battle of the West,
0: right? <laughs> we're from the, Battle of we're the West. West. That's it. No, look, uh, yeah, two hundred fifty. Really, oh, look, it's a big occasion, uh, and and it happens to coincide with. You know, I'm hoping the 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 weekend that will break all weekends when the eels finally lift up that trophy after 36 years. I've been following them all my life, and not since that 86 Grand Final have they uh, have they uh, it tasted that level of success. And I can't wait. I, I'm I'm really confident that we're going to win back. We'll talk about it later. But look, 250. Also, the number of times I think we've we've uh, talked about um, uh, you know we've talked about Cameron Smith, (laughs) we've talked about (laughs) referees, we've talked about Peter Volandis, 250, that's the number of times we've suggested radical changes to the international rules, we've Mm. suggested changes to rugby league's name, you know, like, you you name it, we have (laughs) gone through every single topic, and we will continue to do so until there is real change, Tish, brought to Mm. this game that we love, the greatest game of all. The game, you know, there's a game they play in heaven is Rugby Union, but the game they play in Hull is Rugby League. That's where it's, yeah. or roughly where it started. And uh look, it's been an epic ride. And let's continue the ride because today is going to be an epic episode. It's not just grand final week. There's a lot to cover. It's also Dally M's night. We are recording this on the Wednesday night, the 28th of September. It We have just heard the uh the latest on the dally m award winners and we will reveal uh reveal them later in the show so without any further ado let's get into our first of six tackles and this is the review of week three of the nrl finals the uh, grand final qualifiers here we go All right, so two epic semifinals. Lots to talk about, or semi-finals, semifinals. Preliminary finals, grand final qualifiers. Again, we cannot decide what which ones they are. We are talking Cowboys v Eels and Panthers v Rabbitohs. The winners uh, have been decided, and they were both, look, very, I would say, controversial, epic games in their own right. I think the Cowboys and the Eels won with, by virtue of the fact that it was a much closer game, uh, uh, you know, obviously has a lot more controversy about it as well. And there's a lot to talk about. So the Eels won that first one 24 to 20 up in Queensland Country Bank Stadium and Townsville in front of 25,000. One of the, I think it's the biggest crowd since 2011 up there in Townsville. The Cowboys, everyone had written off, speaking of writing off, everyone had written off the Eels Everyone thought, you know, there's no way the heat will get to them like it got to them in Darwin earlier in the year against the Cowboys. Uh, you know, they're not they're not acclimatising to the weather change there, the tropical weather, the heat at night. It's a different kind of humidity. It's going to affect them. You know, at the end of the day, though, I think fair and square, in my view, the Eels were the clear winners. Uh, you know, they... they uh, the, the score was 24 to 20, and uh, what you'll hear is uh, controversy around, uh, around certain, uh, certain things. But look, let, let me just sort of quickly go. Ta- the tale of the tape is basically four tries to three, the Eels tries to Penasini, two to Reagan, Reagan, Campbell, Gillard, and then Mike Acevo, and for the Cowboys, Ruben Cotter, Luciano LeLua, and Murray to um and then uh and the, an infamous kind of uh, Simbin as well Jason Tamalolo uh was Simbin uh a, in the 15th minute I believe and uh I think that allowed um, uh, the the eels to actually uh, score a try and uh get in the lead there. but look at and half time it was 12 all so look any team uh, had the chance but look the big controversy out of this was the infamous, forward pass from Mitchell Moses to, uh, I believe it was to Will Penasini for his first for the first try. Um, it was a kind of a funny situation where he had his back to the the go- the opposing goal line and the way he threw it, it was kind of a very uh, haphazard, very poor throw actually, and uh, ended up going, you know, I would say probably a metre forward. I think it was very clear that it was forward but all the referees missed it and obvi- obviously the bunker cannot rule on it once uh, once it happens, because the, that's the rules. We can't, they can't rule on forward passes. And so the try stood because everyone uh, missed it. Now, at the end of the day, uh, when you look at, at the way the game played out, uh, in my view, I think the Eels were deserving winners. And I'm saying that as a biased Eels fan. So I'll throw it to you, Tish, to see if you agree with this. But um, look, considering, uh, considering the kind of drama surrounding that forward pass the drama surrounding uh, uh mitchell moses as well mitchell moses had an epic week very eventful week He unfortunately mm. uh had his grand i think his grandmother's funeral earlier in the week him and his partner uh, his partner gave birth to their first child hours before the game uh in fact at that point i think they had just uh they had just kind of, uh, you know, the decision had to be made. You know, is he going to go back or is he going to play? He decided to play. Uh, and even though he had a fairly poor first half and didn't, you know, didn't really, uh, uh, I think he definitely contributed, but I don't think you could say he was the best of the Eels. I think for the Eels, you know, you got to look at Reagan Campbell-Gillard, um, you know, Clint Gutherson, Dylan Brown... Uh, Reid Marnie, these are all players that, that absolutely uh, stood up as, uh, you know, when when required, Junior Polo as well, stood up when required. And those really are the players that had, you know, almost, almost all of them had like nine out of ten games uh, and, and were just unbelievable and were just too good for the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys tried valiantly, uh, but at the end of the day, the Eels uh, ran away with it in the second half. Tish, I'll I'll throw it to you. 24 to 20, the Eels. Yes, if you look at the controversial forward passing, you take those six points off, then the Eels are are behind on the scoreboard. But I kind of get the sense that, uh, you know, it was early enough in the game, that kind of controversy, that you can't really... If you're a Cowboys fan, you can't really blame the result on that because I think, if I remember correctly... There was a, a forward pass also in in one of their in the lead up to one of their tries as well, and in fact the Leilua try uh, in uh, w- was also uh, controversial in the sense that uh, Mitchell Moses actually was being held onto as at marker, and he kind of tripped backwards as uh, as the play went on, as Leilua uh, uh, not Leilua whoever it was played the ball, um, and I got the feeling that it was. Uh, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of—I um, uh, well, don't know if you would call it poetic justice—but um, it's not like as if the eels got the complete rub of the green when it comes to refereeing decisions. I think there were plenty of decisions going the opposite direction that that the eels could have blown up about and and did. Uh, but you know, look—at the end of the day, I can understand Cowboys fans being upset, but. The Eels, I think, were deserved winners at the end of the day. Tish, that's my biased view. How about you as an unbiased non-Eels supporter? Do you agree with me?
1: Well, look, watching the game, firstly, I did quite enjoy this game. I think this was good. It was a back and forth game. And I think that there was a moment uh, in the second half where I think the Cowboys were in the lead. And I thought all was at Lost for Parramatta, Um, so I'm just trying to work it out here. So I think it might have been, I'd say probably close to yeah around the 54th, you know 52nd. Yeah, they scored the three tries so um, around the 50 yeah second minute and so forth, and um, and I think there was uh, and then what the guy that I thought actually opened the game up for Parramatta was actually Sean Lane. Um, there was a yes. couple of Yes, right. I forgot lane. Yep, yeah, Sean Lane. Yeah, Sean Lane. I think if you go, um, you know, clutch moments and clutch plays, I think this is where Sean Lane actually, um, you know, uh, with his attack and, and getting some offloads in, um, you know, was able to sort of uh, do that. Um, and then you look at the stats of this game, and then you really you actually look at the stats. One of the most interesting things about the, this whole game is that, you know, without looking at the score, you look at, you know, um, you know, possession, Um, you know, completion rate, uh, total, like, post-contact meters, runs, um, everything is actually favoring the Cowboys, right? Um, Until you get to kicking meters, right, which is, um, you know, the Eels kick for 650 and um, 545 for the Cowboys. And despite Mitchell, um, not Mitchell Pierce, sorry, uh, Mitchell Moses, despite him (laughs) kicking two balls out on the full, Right. Obviously, you know, we found out after the game a lot about what had happened that day. I mean, he welcomed the birth of his first child. I think it was uh, via FaceTime,
0: I should say. So yeah, it wasn't via FaceTime.
1: Yeah, yeah, it wasn't even there. Um, and then everything that's happened with his family and his grandparents kicking the ball out in the full twice in the second half, but yet their kicking game was more effective uh, than the Cowboys. They gained more meters. It just shows why it's so important in these big games to actually. Do those little things and finish off your sets, um, you know, better than the opposition. Um, the, the Cowboys, it, you know, five bombs and uh, three grubbers, okay. Yeah, so there was a well, no bombs from the from the eels, so even <laughs> even that's kind of interesting. So, so, kind of shows they weren't really in attacking positions a lot of the time yeah. to actually kick the ball, so they won by playing off the back foot. Um, if you take away those Sean Lane moments, right?
0: Yeah, um.
1: So I think that is a really good – it's actually really good because Paramount have a lot to work on as a team. You know, if you sort of – obviously, there is the fanfare now into the grand final um, coming in. But, um, you know, when it comes to those closed sessions, when you're actually thinking about tactics and strategies and everything, there's a lot there for them to work on um, in terms of playing better. So, look, I don't think they played – if you – they had a probably overall probably maybe – a seven or eight out of ten performance, but they could still go up another two levels. That's kind of where I feel uh yeah. Paramount are at. But look, I thought is very valiant. You know, this is kind of interesting. If Brad Arthur lost his job lost this uh match, he could have lost his job. <laughs> right?
0: It, you, I think you're right. I think there would have been a lot of people saying Yeah. That's it, Brad. You we've given you enough chances to get us yeah. there and to the big dance. Yeah.
1: And and meanwhile, uh Todd Payton losing this game. Right? <laughs> May get coach of the year. We'll talk no, about get
0: that. coach of the year. Thanks for letting the cat out of the bag there. But, yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to raise – yeah, the, the stats is interesting because when you look at the stats, they can paint a particular picture. If you look at the majority of the kind of high-level stats that a lot of people look at, you'd look at it and you think, well, clearly the Cowboys won this one because they're all over them in you know percentage completion, this, that, the other – but if you look at the story, so this is where I think looking at data and looking at the, the you know, you got to look at it right to understand what it's telling you. Uh, and also in some cases, the stats don't necessarily tell the story, uh, but in some cases it does. So I think in this case, you're right. Cowboys look like they won everything, but there are a few ones that I want to lo- point you to uh, in addition to the kicking one. So first of all, the kicking one was crucial. I think the way, the reason why it's crucial is because it showed that the Eels were able to get field position with their good kicking game where they wouldn't have otherwise. So they could have been, you know, not have very effective sets of six, but because of a good kicking game, it uh, it, it automatically puts the Cowboys on the back foot because they, they've kind of pinned them in their 20. Um, but you look at offloads. Offloads, it was 15 to 7 to the Eels. Yep. That doesn't sound like much. The dummy passes, 16-6. to Doesn't sound like much. Big difference, though. Again, everything is the other direction. All the stats are in the Cowboys' favour, except for the ones that you mentioned around kicking, the ones that I just mentioned, offloads and dummy passes. And here's another one that kind of stands out. Ineffective tackles, 24 to the Cowboys, 9 to the Eels. And I think when you put all that together, and you do get errors, errors is in favour of the Eels. Like, they actually were worse, uh, not in favor I mean like they actually had more errors and we know that two of those were Mitchell Moses <laughs> errors we know that for sure um, but when you look at the other sets that I just pointed out I think this the story that this tells you is that a defense wins these games and I think the eels scrambling defense really made the difference they uh, when when they were out on their feet their defense is what is what kind of won them this game. the other thing is, the off the thing about the offloads and the dummy passes and and things like that tells you that they took advantage of opportunities to break break the line when when required. And I think the other thing, again, I agree with you. The eels were not as a team, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders. There mm-hmm. were some individually brilliant plays, and the fact that we're talking about Sean Lane, Clint Gutherson, Dylan Brown, um, Reagan Campbell-Gillard. The clutch plays is what won this match. And I think as an Eels fan going into the grand final, you want to know that even when things were not going our way, even when we were not 100%, you know, doing doing what we need to do, we still had enough great defence and clutch plays available in attack to win us this game. And that's really what matters. And I think that's kind of what's going to matter in the grand final as well. Um, yes, you have to be a lot better to to beat the Penrith Panthers, but you also need clutch players to to actually wake up and do something when it counts. And I think when it mattered, the Eels, uh, you know, had players stand up. And I think this is what we haven't had in the past. And I think this is, uh, it's a testament to the players, not necessarily a testament to Brad Arthur's, uh, you know, decision-making on the bench and, and, and team selections and things like that. This is still going to be an issue. And we'll talk about that soon. But I think... Uh, you know, I'm very, very proud of their performance. I think they fully deserve their victory, even though uh, they won ugly, put it that way. It's winning ugly. And that's exactly what they did. Uh, And that's what you got to do. This is the Eels of the 80s. They won ugly. If you remember those games, uh, those of you who are Eels or Bulldogs fans, you'll know that those grand finals, they were low scoring affairs. and, And it was all about defense. It was all about doing what needed to be done to just win that game. Um, stats didn't really matter back then, you know, and so I think, uh, yeah. Look, I'll leave it yeah. at that. Do you want to have your last word, and uh, we'll move on to the next one?
1: Yeah. Well, look, what, what I was going to say uh, about the the forward pass, uh, Mitchell Pierce incident, shall we say? Mitchell <laughs> right. Moses. Mitchell Moses. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <about> that. <laughs> I, I, look, I think I mean from from obviously you looking at it, and it and it does look forward, right? Looks forward on TV. And, you know, I think even the NRL have actually gone back and and said that it was forward, right? Like, I think Graham Adams, he's already said that. However, let's uh, let's put our, how the bunker would interpret this. So, I mean, they can't rule on forward passes any, anyway, but if they if they were to do this, right, I think one of the things that I noticed is that Mitchell, Pe- Mitchell Pe- uh, Moses was turning around, right? When he was, uh, like, you know, he was sort of, um, you know, he had to sort of turn, like, I think he was, uh, I don't know what he, 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 yeah, he was turning around. And he was, when the, when, when he releases the ball, he's actually facing his own goal line, right? So, you know, the bunker looks at that stuff. If you notice when, when they're going back and analyzing, they look at, oh, where is the player facing? And the, he is facing, um, you know, behind his goal right? Uh, like, you know, towards his own line. So when he releases from there, then, then that's, uh, then, you know, then that would show that he's, um, that his hands are going, uh, backwards, right? Then the other thing is, is that after that he gets stopped, I think he gets tackled or he just stops. Whereas the ball keeps traveling and, you know, because he's, you know, uh, because he's, Passing it laterally, it's going to look forward if he stops. Right, that's right. Because he
0: gets propelled backwards. That's why.
1: Yeah, because he gets propelled backwards, and then the parameter player catches it. Right, but there's another little interesting thing that you can look at when you go back and and, and actually see where he is. Is that he jumps? I think it's the thirty meter line. He passes the ball, or he releases the ball, probably a few steps uh, over the thirty meter line. And the and the, uh, the winger doesn't catch the ball. Like, the winger catches the ball in pretty much the same position, right? But I think it's when you see um, Moses getting pushed back, maybe there's the illusion of the forward pass. It's just, I don't think, yeah, that's, I think this is the kind of incident where it raised, where if it was, we'd, we'd still be trying to decide whether this was a forward pass if it was in the bunker's hands, right? So, that's the kind of yeah. Problem with the forward pass and the forward pass technology. So look, um, did it I don't think it cost the Cowboys because this is very early in the game. They they can't you know they were able to came back. They just didn't have you know, they've got plenty of clutch player guys in their team, right? I think of Valentine Holmes, a Peter Hiku, even um, you know, their their big giant uh you know winger who does amazing things every so often. Uh Kyle, uh yeah.
0: Kyle um, Feld, yeah.
1: Kyle, Kyle felt, you know, they've got, you know, they've got a grand final halfback winner in uh, Chad Townsend. They've got enough there to make these big moments count, but unfortunately, they weren't able to do it. But you know, I think they've had a great season. Um, let's take nothing away from them, and um, yeah, let's see from this experience if they can build upon it. You know, for next year, um, I think Cowboys fans love to see that. But uh, congratulations to the Eels. Making it to their first grand final since two thousand and nine, and and now the pressure <laughs> the the now now it's on for them. But you know it's very exciting for all these players. To a lot of them, I think for pretty much their entire squad. It's the first grand final they're playing, so I think it's I think it's a big moment for all these uh, guys' lives. So so well done, Parramatta. All
0: right, and the next one, obviously the the next day on the Saturday was Panthers versus Rabbitohs to decide. The other grand finalists, and it ended up uh, after you know, a, well, again, it was 12 all at half time, yeah. So, uh, and this, uh, and look, I'll, I'll go through the tail of the tape, but at the end of the day, it was five tries to to the Panthers, Coruscant, To'o, Lenu, Tago, and Cleary to finish it off in the 77th minute, and Cody Walker and Richard Kenner for the Rabbitohs. Um, <clears throat> as I said, it was 12 all at half time, however the Rabbitohs really, you know, raced out to a uh, 12-0 lead very early on. And it was only really until the 35th minute, Uh, you know, so it was 12-0 and with five minutes to go in the first half, I think the Rabbitohs fans would have been thinking, wow, we are really doing a number on the Panthers and then it's all like, you know, let's continue the good work and it's all over kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, two tries out of nowhere. At Coruscant try... Uh, I think, if I remember correctly, it was, a, it was a good little try. Potentially, he dived under some players to get that one. Brian Torr's try, in the 39th minute, it was really the turning point. And this was a, uh, you know, the Rabbitohs, uh, instead of uh, kind of winding down the clock or just running it out or, um, uh, so not running out, you know, doing the low percentage plays to make sure they went into the sheds ahead, we saw a terrible no-look kind of pass from Latrell Mitchell, which uh, was caught on the fly, intercepted by Brontor, uh, ran, you know, 50 metres or so, was uh, encountered by Cody Walker, who I think forgot how to tackle and was totally bumped off. And there was a comedy of errors, and I could only liken this to... You remember that Stephen Bradbury incident in the Winter Olympics, how he won the gold medal with everyone else falling down around him? That's pretty much what happened because Cody Walker not only covered, it was right there to tackle Brian Torr with 40 metres or so to go. Mm. There was also another Rabbitohs player right next to him that was ready to to help cover in case he missed that tackle, which he did. He got bumped off very easily. And there was also a player. I think it was Jai Arrow behind, who was uh, easily uh, within sure. striking distance of lunging and potentially tackling Brian Brontor. What ended up happening was the little, uh, the little, the little bump off that that Tor gave to um, Cody Walker. Um, it was it was epic. It was uh, unfortunate for for Cody Walker. It looked ridiculous. Um, <laughs> He not only bumped off, he fell backwards, and in doing so, tripped over his own player, and then uh, and then later also tripped over J- Jairo, I think. And so basically, they had three players that could have covered Brian Toll and Tor went on and scored under the black dot, and, and the rest is history. So they went in 12 all, where really it should have been, you know, 12-6, possibly even you know 12-0 had they not uh, lapsed in concentration a little, a few minutes earlier. So that completely changed the, the complexion of the game because I think up until that point, if the Panthers had gone in 12-6 or 12-0, I think it potentially could have been a different game. And uh, then it just unraveled completely. I think, you know, the, uh, the the Panthers were, you know, statistically were running all over the Rabbitohs, um, unlike in the Eels game where some of their star players stood up when count, when, when it was required. Um in, in the Rabideaux, uh corner, they had no one stepping up. Um, Damien Cook was ineffective. He tried his heart out, but he was not very effective by himself. Latrell Mitchell went missing. Didn't, didn't really do anything. Was a passenger for most of the game. Um, Cody Walker, similarly, didn't do anything effective at all. Uh, he did score a try. I think it was a lucky try, uh, but it wasn't necessarily uh, his play. I think it was a kick from... uh, It may have even been a kick from Damien Cook through the defence that actually got Cody Walker, um, you know, lunged at at it and scored. And look, at the end of the day, if you're a Rabidos fan, in front of 50,000 at a core stadium in Sydney, the Olympic Stadium, you would feel gutted that you had them on the ropes in the first half and then just let it slip away. And you can't necessarily blame fitness, I think, for what happened in that first half. I think it was... Some really dumb plays for the Rabbitohs, and uh, and and really, they they just lost the plot at that point. Once the Panthers got that first try after the second half, it was all over, and it was just all downhill. And eventually, they wore them down. That's where I think fitness came into play, um, and having that week off would have been amazing for them. Um, not so for the Rabbitohs, who had a you know um, a, a tough kind of uh, lead up to this game. So, look, 32 to 12, uh, an absolute flogging if you look at it just on, in terms of the scoreboard. Um, the stats tell a similar tale as well in terms of possession, completion rates. It was all pretty much in the Panthers' favour. Um, you know, I was talking about offloads and dummy passes as an interesting statistic. There was lots of offloads for the Rabbitohs. However, all the dummy passes were were for the Panthers, which tells me that, you know, the, the Rabbitohs, I think... You know, they they just mostly played one out until until they needed to then throw the ball around, but the fact that they had no dummy passes means there was no one with that sort of element of guile and cunning that they needed to kind of break through the uh, the Panthers' defence. So lesson lesson there for the Eels, I think, is that if you play boring, one dimensional kind of rugby league uh, like the like the Rabbitohs did, you're not going to get anywhere and uh, against the Panthers. So. Yeah, look, that's my view. Um, uh, there was also the controversy around uh, a Tarn Milne was sent off at, in the sixty-third minute for an, yeah. a really uh, horrific kind of head-high tackle. Uh, if you look at the play as well, again, everyone's talking about Milne, and then Spencer Lenu afterwards was trying to have a go at him because he got sent uh, for a, a head assessment, a head a head injury assessment. Um, and obviously wanted to have a bit of a fight with Milne on, on the sidelines. Uh, uh, fair enough, you would you would too if you if you felt that, that uh, an opposing player deliberately smacked you in the head. Um, but one thing that's forgotten is if you look at the the video replay of what happened as he's going to ground, Latrell Mitchell is the one that gives him a bit of a face palm. So look, a lot of people, a lot of people are saying, you know, there was a bit of grubbiness going on from both of these teams. Those a little kind of little face, face in the dirt kind of thing, mm. which which the Panthers have been known to do this year as well. Um, so it was a bit unfortunate that this kind of, uh, they lost the plot a little bit and there was a send off. That was really unfortunate, but I think that really was the nail in the coffin for the Rabbitohs. Once that happened, it was all over. Um, yeah, they they the Rabbitohs lost the plot there. So disappointing end to the season for the Rabbitohs, but they did well to get here. They certainly should uh, be proud of, of what they did to get here, but I think, yeah, they really missed uh, the 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 star players standing up when when it when it needs to be counted. Um, it's really unfortunate. Everyone hyped up Latrell Mitchell, and he was nowhere to be seen. Unfortunately, so if you're a Robertos fan, you'd be disappointed at the end. But I think proud of the journey up until that point. What about you, Tish?
1: Well, look, um, I think, yeah, let's start off with the disappointment of South Sydney. So I believe this is the fourth or perhaps the fifth year in a row that they've made it to the, um, you know, the game before the grand final. Preliminaries, and, yep. Yeah. yeah, and and I think only once, which was last year, have they been able to convert that into a grand final uh, appearance, right? And uh, yeah, so, so this is kind of interesting, right? Because, you know, you're going to look at this era... <laughs> down the track and usually all you remember is the winners or the grand finalists, right? You don't remember these teams that were there and thereabouts, right? A bit like, um, North Sydney in the nineties, right? The North Sydney bears were like the grand, like in the final series every year, but weren't able to convert any of those into any grand final appearances. And I kind of fear for this time, this great South Sydney team, they do really do have a good team, but you know, um, unable to win this game, to make it to the grand final um, for, for, you know, I think it's once in the last five years or once in the last four years, it's still, it, but both of them are, are pretty bad. So dissecting them, look, I mean, they were leading 12 nil. Things were going well for the first 30 minutes of the game, um, you know, and then, but then when I think Api Corosau, when he came onto the field, the Panthers all of a sudden started to roll in and, and, and everything like that, luck was on the side of the Rabbitohs a little bit too. There was, a f- I think, there was two tries disallowed. Um You know, one off Latrell Mitchell f- uh failing to kick a drop out that was ten, you know, within ten meters. But I think they saw that Jerome Lu- Luai had touched the ball, which which caused a knock on. And there was another one which was kind of a bit, uh, a bit crazy. Which was uh, Littrell, uh, which was Jerome Lui had held back a player. Um, but if if he didn't hold him back, that would have been a try too because Penrith were able to regather the ball. And I think there was another one where they bombed the try, and again, it was um, it was Jerome Lui running behind one of their own players. Um, you know, when when they 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 sort of made a break, um, and then they were able to pass it out. So there was a couple of just uh. A Few, I think, I think the Panthers. I don't know if it's cobwebs, or whatever, but in the first half, they probably could have scored another three tries, which is which is kind of showing where the Rabbitohs kind of, after the first 20 30 minutes, put took the foot off the pedal a lot. And then, yeah, as the game wore on, I think it was the Brian Hall try, uh, on, on the stroke of half time was definitely a turning point in the game and they weren't able to recover. Uh Spencer Lee new scoring um you know within the first five minutes of the second half a try as well. Um you know also just just getting those you know those three tries in a row. I think I think it just kind of broke South Sydney and they just weren't able to come back from that. And yeah and and then as you said look, there were times where you're thinking what you know why aren't they more expansive? Why why aren't they doing more than they do. I mean, this team is known for being able to score some really great, exciting tries, but yeah, it just, it just didn't feel like they were doing it that way. Um, You know, with Latrell Mitchell, like, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk with him. Um, He did get hit by Moses Leota early on in the game. And it was a pretty full on tackle. Um, I noticed he's, you know, if you compare his stats to his opposite stats in Dylan Edwards, it's like I think there were seven runs in total, um, whereas Dylan Edwards had 25 runs, for example. Um, and I think, you know, Meters Games was like less than 100 for Latrell, but Dylan Edwards had 200 posts. So I don't know if, if that tackle, um, you know, that really hard tackle early on kind of... Um, Rocked Latrell Mitchell a little bit to the point where he didn't get involved enough in the game, and this also is bringing up that question: where should Latrell Mitchell actually be be playing fullback? Because of the work rate that's involved in playing playing fullback, um, he sort of becomes less effective when you need him in attack, um, right? So that's you know if you look at if you look at the main playmakers. For most teams, it's usually the halfback and five eighth, and part of the reason why you put them in those positions is because they have to do less grunt work. But the fullback is one of the, you know, it's one of the the tireless roles out there. Like you know, where where a guy like Dylan Ewers and even like Clint Cutherson, right? They're running two or three hundred meters per game because they're always doing the kick recoveries and you know that type of thing. And then you know they're the ones that sort of are the ones that you put through a gap rather than ones that create the gap, um, you know. Whereas I think Latrell, he's effective uh, as as a as a ball player, like right? As as a player that could not only break the line on his own but also um, you know set other players up to actually score tries. So, so the the the, the problem is maybe the work rate at fullback doesn't give. Yeah, you know, he's he's run out of energy. <laughs> right um so when you're in an attacking position um he could be the most effective so i thought so i don't know that the Rabbitohs need to have a bit of a rethink about how they sort of strategize that uh, but look on the other side you know the panthers um you know were they at their top of their powers probably not they've probably got some improvements too i think you know getting behind by 12 points um you know at the start of any game is not the best is not the ideal scenario as well um so I think that they've got that type of improvement to go. But then other than that, I think everything was pretty professional. I mean, their forwards were on top of the Panthers forwards, their back line were, were patient. Um, you know, Cleary and um Loi were able to create enough for their, their their players. Obviously Nathan Cleary's kicking game was was top notch. Um, you know, probably the only thing was that, that first first twenty minutes, maybe having uh, you know, I believe it's Mitch Kenny as dummy half don't know if that worked against the rabbitos, but it could be a way to sort of, um, bring a bit of spark after the first 20 minutes of grunt work being done or something like that. So yeah, mm. really interesting, but look, well done Parramatta. This is obviously, sorry, well done Penrith. Congratulations to them. They are the minor premiers that have gone through. Um, and this is the th- their third grand final in a row, right? That they've managed to, to get to the last dance. And, um, you know, they're building a bit of a dynasty. Now, the interesting thing is, um, like people talking about premiership windows for Barramatta, but I believe there is a whole ton of players also leaving for Penrith as well. You know, they won't have kick out next year. Uh, I believe they won't have out next year. Um, so they're two big guns that they're going to lose. Um, you know, and then, you know, a lot of the outside backs and players, um, you know, uh, Penrith can't afford to keep them all. So there's going to be a few other losses that they're going to have. So... Really interesting, this matchup now, you know, you've got two teams that, you know, uh, they're not going to be the same teams next year, so, um, and they don't like playing, well, they like playing against each other, but they don't like each other, right? So there's a bit of a grudge match as well, so it's That's right. super exciting and can't wait.
0: All right, well, speaking of that, we are going to preview <laughs> that grudge match. Tackle number two, here we go. All right, here we go with our preview of the Panthers versus the Eels, a men's NRL grand final this Sunday, the 2nd of October at 7.30 p.m. at a course stadium. Hopefully the conditions will be good, although there's a bit of rain expected from now until then. First plays fourth, the minor premiers versus, uh, and the current champions uh, versus the, uh, uh, the Eels that haven't won for 36 years. Uh the, the bookies seem to be favoring the panthers as hot favorites given uh, you know given the, how clinical they have been uh, across the board all year uh, and for the last couple of years really last three years so um, you know you would expect them to go in as favorites and I think that's kind of plays to the eels strengths uh, of, of feeling like underdogs. I believe that is why you know we've been talking all year Tish about wh- why are the eels rocks or diamonds? You know, why is it sometimes they turn up against the good teams and not not against the lowly teams? I think the the answer is because they feel like underdogs, that's when they perform at their best. And you, we've seen that. They've beaten the Storm twice this year, the Panthers twice this year. Um, unfortunately, they didn't beat the Panthers in the first game in the preliminary, uh, the first week of the finals. So some people are saying, well, that means that, you know, the 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 curse has broken, and uh, you know the, the, they're not necessarily the bogeymen for the Panthers that they thought they are. But this is different. This is a grand final, and a lot of players, as you said, for both sides. And I'll go through the sides in a minute. The teams that were announced uh, very recently, both sides would be feeling like this is uh, an end of an, a, a bit of an era. Uh, Eels are losing some players, and so are the Panthers, as you said. So um, let's launch into the teams. So the, the Panthers, and again these can change, um, but I'll only go through the 17. We've got Dylan Edwards for the Panthers. Dylan Edwards at fullback. Charlie Staines and Bronto on the wings. Isaac Tago, Stephen Crichton in the centres. Jerome Luai at five-eighth. Nathan Cleary at halfback and captain. And at lock we've got Isaiah Yo. Second rowers Liam Martin, William Kikau. Front rowers, James Fisher-Harris, Moses Lyoda, and Apisai Kurosawa is in at number nine. So he's not going to be on the bench. He's straight in. On the interchange bench, we've got Mitch Kenny, Scott Sorensen, Spencer Lenu, and Jamin Salmon. Um, and on the eel side, we do have a change, which I'll talk about in a minute. But Clint Gutherson kicks us off at uh, captain and fullback. The wingers are Mike Casivo and uh, Wanga Blake. Will Penicini and Bailey Simonson are the centres. Dylan Brown at 5'8". Mitchell Moses at halfback. Locke is Ryan Madison. Second row is Sean Lane and Isaiah Papali'i. Forwards, Reagan Campbell-Gillard. So props, sorry. Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Paulo. And Reed Marnie is at hooker. And on the bench, we've got Nathan Brown being called up from the reserves after a very long time. Mm. We've got Jake Arthur. We've got Oregon Kafusi and Marata Neakore. So Bryce Cartwright loses his spot on the bench. In In his place is Nathan Brown, who is obviously Eels, uh, an Eels fan favourite, I think, uh, but his form of late hasn't been that great, but I think he's sort of uh, come back into form. And let's not forget we've got, unfortunately, in the reserves, I think Tom Opetridge is still injured potentially, but he's named there at number 20 reserve, uh, among a few others. Um You know, at the end of the day, we're talking about two teams who are, you know, yet representing the Battle of the West. But I think all of that is just media hype. At the end of the day, they're not going to go in to this match thinking, "Oh, this is a hyped-up Battle of the West." They're going to go in thinking, "This is our chance for glory. This is our last chance. We've got to put it all together on the day. Push everything aside. Do it for each other." do it as a team, and I think when it when I look at the way the Eels have played in the last couple of games, uh, especially in the last game against the Cowboys, and the fact that for, well, for the last two games, if you remember, Tish, we've talked about, you know, on the eve of those games against the Raiders and the Cowboys, we had some controversies around, you know, the, uh, well, last week it was... Uh, the, the, at the Raiders game, it was the, the leaked internal report, internal review report on the Eels, which was meant to kind of destabilise the team. That didn't work because, again, after that performance, they talked a lot about everyone's out to get us. It's uh, us against them. We bonded as a team. We're all together. So much so that when Moses uh, Mitchell Moses had to make the decision about whether to fly back to Sydney to be with his partner, for the birth of his first child, he decided to stay with the Eels and and uh, get them through to the grand final. So a tough decision had to be made, no doubt. That, to me, tells you everything you need to know about how tight-knit this outfit is. And despite the fact that there are issues, as I definitely have issues with the, some of the selections, um, and the fact that Brad Arthur hasn't really you know, used the, the, the opportunities he's had earlier in the season to blood some players and test them out when he knows that he's got certain weaknesses in the squad. Um, what mattered was, as I said, they won ugly against the Cowboys. They did what needed to be done. Defence wins the big games. The big players stand up when when required, when it matters. Uh, and And you put all that together... They're the underdogs, you know, you name it. They are the underdogs for this grand final. And I don't, you know, like, yes, they were the underdogs in 2009, but it was a completely different scenario with a, an all-dominant and illegally formed Melbourne Storm team. And if you go back all the way to 2001, I was at that grand final when the Joey Johns ripped us apart at Newcastle Knights. This was a record-breaking Eels outfit who... Uh, you know, under the the guy the guidance of Brian Smith, infamously kind of nerved themselves out. I think uh, on the big day, and 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 really didn't didn't perform as effectively as they had all year. This is a completely different eels side. This is a side that is working together as a team. They're not relying on one player like they did with Jared Hayne to get them out of of uh, of the rut to get them, you know, through the line, they, they've got, they had quite, like I said, as a team in a previous game, the Cowboys, they had lots of stats going against them. But when you look at some of the individual performances, the clutch players had clutch performances really, except for Mitchell Moses, I would say all the others had, you know, eight or nine out of 10 level performances, especially Sean Lane, you know, Clint Gutherson, etc some of those players really stood up when, when, when it mattered. And uh, if I look at that, uh, I think as an Eels fan, that gives me a lot of confidence. What doesn't give me confidence is how clinical the Panthers have been all year. Um, but again, I look at the one simple fact, the only team that has ma- managed to uh, completely understand how to defeat the Panthers this year and last year as well, really, even though there was that controversy in the semi-finals where we, with the trainer and uh, and you know stopping play when we were just about to score that try at the end, at the end of the day, the Eels have proven time and again for the last few years that they have the wood on the Panthers. So it all comes down to this, you know, it's there's no no point beating them twice during the year if you can't beat them when it matters. And I think. I, I'm quietly confident, Tish, that the Eels, uh, by doing the basics right, being extremely strong and scrambling in defence, I think if if you match the two defences together in terms of scrambling and ability to kind of uh, lift and play for each other on the big occasion, no one has tested the Panthers as much as the Eels this year. And the Eels, to me, have that advantage, even though... Man, man, or man, every single matchup, you could almost say that the Panthers are, you know, for the majority, have the advantage over the Eels over their uh, counterparts on in the Eels side. But when it matters, it's the the team, it's the defense, and it's the clutch plays. And I think all of those things I've seen, I can tick that box in the last couple of games, tells me that the Eels are primed for a big one. And despite the fact they're underdogs, just as they were against the Cowboys. I think this is the Eels' time to shine, and I'm I'm quietly confident that they will raise that trophy. Tish, I I'm too much of a proud Eels fan. I think probably should stop talking. <laughs> yeah. I w- over to you to maybe bring me back down to reality. What is your summation and preview of this match?
1: Well, look, these two teams have met, um, you know, tw- as you said, three times this year, and we've seen. Uh Parramatta, during the regular season, beat them twice. And then in the postseason, you've seen Penrith uh, win, you know. And then last year in the postseason, Penrith won again. So this is the challenge here for Parramatta, beating the Panthers in postseason. And I think also the circumstances that happened last year, it, was, uh, it wasn't ideal, right? Because I, I felt like that they really felt that they should have won the game. And there was a few things that went against them that probably shouldn't have gone against them. You know, I think there was a trainer incident and there was also a ref incident. Too. So I think with Parramatta, this is part of their motivation. The other part of their motivation is obviously the fact that, you know, a lot of their good players, they'll be losing. I know Romani is going um, and a few others are going as well. So they're not going to have the same team next year as well. So I think that is also an added motivation. And I think um, I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, like, you know, with Brad Arthur saying that he's a Bush coach and he doesn't really know what he's doing and he's never been here before, so he doesn't know how he should feel. He doesn't know how, how he should react. He doesn't know what to do and all that kind of stuff. I think that's actually quite okay. I think it kind of is refreshing, right? You know, he's not trying to hide the fact that, you know, this is the first time he's... Uh, Coached the team to the grand final and you know he's he's sort of helping people understand like you know he's in new territory here and I think I even hear Clint Cufferson talking about you know nobody gave us a chance and the world is against us and you know <laughs> Area 53 I don't know like it was a big it was a big giant conspiracy <laughs> and, and the thing is the, the thing about it I was thinking I was getting a bit frustrated and I was thinking like what are you talking about man like like I think just as many people who don't give you a chance are giving you a chance. Right. But then I kind of got it. It is the, the, the siege mentality, which they want their players to have. Right. I think that's the the thing about it. You know, it was kind of interesting that talking about, you know, how excited are you to play grand final? And he said, Oh, we're going to have a couple of drinks and then it's back to business. You know, and they were kind of like, you know, we can't celebrate too hard yet, you know? And, um, And I've heard some former uh, legends, like I've heard uh, Gary Belcher saying that in 1987, when the Canberra Raiders um, made it to the Grand Final for the first time, um, you know, uh, before the the game, the city of Canberra threw them a big giant parade.
0: (laughs) Before the game.
1: (laughs) Before the game. And I think the same thing happened for the Panthers in 1990, right? Their first grand final too, right? So that's the thing. So the fact that the Panthers were thinking, you know what, uh, pa- Paramount were thinking, no fanfare. Let's not let us worry about that after the game, right? Let's just try and concentrate on this week. Um, it might be the right way that they're going about it. So, so I think, uh, look, I think they're going to be primed, right? I think they're going to be primed. So, but look, the Panthers have been here and done it before. I mean, they've they they know what it's like. They're a bit more experienced that way, so they're obviously going to have an advantage about keeping their emotions in control and sticking to the game plan. Um, so then you actually got to think about what the game plan of execution is. Right? You know, how is how is Parramatta going to win and versus how is Penrith going to win and which team is more likely to be able to execute the, you know, the strategy that would be... Well, for Parramatta, the, sorry, for Penrith, the strategy is firstly, kick a bomb to Wonga Blake. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't <it> that obvious? <laughs> I, I, I think I think so, and I think so, and 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 you know what? Like, um, Brad Arthur has named him on the wing, right? So whether he'll play on the wing or not is a, is a, is another story, right? But 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 like, it's kind of like okay, that's that's the game plan. Um, the second thing in the game, plan, okay. So this is what I this is what I found out. This is kind of an interesting stat because it's very hard to find this stat, but. Um, you know, Penrith are at equal first for pre contact meters. Okay. So that is the number of meters you gain before you hit the defense. Okay. Whereas Parramatta are the number one for post contact meters. Okay. So what that's saying is that with the Penrith style of attack, they really want to gain as many meters as they can while the defense is retreating. So that means uh, get the ball. Uh, hit the defense, get tackled quickly, play the ball again, and and really work a fast tempo style of attack, which actually means your play the ball speed is going to be very quick, and your, your your play the ball yeah is going to be very quick, and then and then you're going to get through your set very quickly, and before you know it, big giant bomb to Wong and Blake, right? <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. That, that's basically where you are going to. Whereas for Parramatta, their situation is. You know, they will they will obviously attack and um but they make more meters post contact. So they want to hit the line and they still want to keep driving through the defense. So it means that um like you take a player like uh we'll take Nathan Brown, I know he hasn't played for a while. He he will he will hit the defense and he'll keep on moving forward. Now the defense is all already retreating for the getting ready for the next tackle, and then he gets away and offload, right? And obviously they're number one for offloads as well. Right in the competition, so their tactic is more gonna in attack is more gonna be around. like this is how the forwards get on top is post content matters and pass post content minutes and pass. So, therefore, Penrith need to shut that down. Um, which, uh, yeah, Penrith got to uh, shut that down. And on the flip side, um, obviously, Parama- uh, what paramount need to do is they need to slow down the ruck, disrupt the ruck, cause a menace to the point where, where, where Penrith cannot. Uh, play the ball as quick and get those pre-contact meters in. That's where the two have got to do it. So, how do you how do you how can you figure this out? And I think I just looked at the benches and I noticed that with with Penrith, it's really interesting. They've got Mitch Kenny and uh Jaimon Salmon, so they're going for two forwards. Um, so an eight-man rotation for the forwards. Um, and then two backup uh, backs, whereas the, um, you know, ab- apart from Jake Arthur, you know, Parramatta is is, is an all-forward bench, right? So I kind of look at that, and I think that Parramatta is actually, uh, I, I feel more confident that they could a- execute um, their defensive, you know, their defensive KPIs, if you would say, which is, you know, um, try and shut to try and slow down um, the, param- the, the Penrith um, play the ball, as well as try and um, try and obviously put as much pressure on Nathan Cleary for the whole eighty minutes, because you got to make sure that when um, you know when when Cleary is about to kick the ball that you've got the markers chasing, you've got another you know uh, a player chasing, so that you know he doesn't have that much time to actually pass the uh, pass the ball right. So. Um, the fact that you got so many forwards in there, and um, you know, and even a, a player like Ryan Madison's quite quick as well. Um, I think, yeah, I'll, I'm looking at that, and I just think that they they've got a better opportunity to do that. You know, Nathan Brown he hasn't played for 17 weeks, but he wasn't at the last game um, against uh, Parramatta where they went for, I think they went for two forwards and two backs, and and you know, it's probably. This is probably a better way of, of stopping that. So, yes, yeah, so I think tactically, I think Parramatta have picked the right field. Um, but I think where the, the the big thing that they would have to confront is all this distraction about the curse of number seven, blah, blah, blah. The Parramatta haven't won for so many years. I think that getting to the grand final for them is going to be more challenging than the actual grand final themselves. So, <laughs> because it's it's it, yeah, this is this is the thing. if they give, if Arthur can figure out a way to just get them uh, focused on the game, I think they can win it. But I'm still going to tip Penrith because I think that Penrith's experience in this situation, me um, like you know, and they're, like they're eight points out. They've been so much. They've been so much better than the other team. I think I think Penrith. If I'm thinking logically with my head, I think Penrith is probably going to win this game. So, um, yeah. So, look, those are my thoughts on the game. Don't know what you think about it, uh, Doctor T. But uh, hopefully, I've I've tried to break down why each team can win. So hopefully, that could be. Um, they might go out there and do none of this, by the way. But <laughs> let's see.
0: <laughs> As if they listen to us anyway. But exactly. look, Nathan Brown was there the last, well, the first time that the Eels beat the the Panthers this year. He was at lock. Ryan Madison was on the bench. Now it's, it seems to be the other way around. Ryan Madison is a starting lock. I wonder what that means. As you said, I think the way Brad Arthur's going to play this bench is going to be crucial to this game. I don't know what role Nathan Brown's going to play, but I am I think it, it will be an interesting one for sure. Um, the other thing to note is this isn't just any old grand final for the Panthers. They're going for their second, you know, back-to-back wins and i think we haven't seen you know they talk about what we haven't seen since the roosters but what's interesting is that the Eels uh also got back-to-back wins in 81 and 82 could the panthers be getting 2021 and 2022 who knows uh and then could they go for the three-peat like like the Eels did. So that, that's probably playing on their mind is the legacy thing. Although obviously nowadays, yeah. you know, you, you can't hold on to those players anymore. Salary cap is gonna force yeah. you to lose them. As you said, out and Corusau, the two Fijians are are gone ski. Uh they'll they'll go elsewhere. They're also gonna lose their assistant coach, Cameron Serraldo. So that's gonna yeah. be interesting. But look
1: uh well, well, yeah, I was look. I was thinking about this too. Like um Parramatta haven't won a grand final since Penrith started winning grand finals.
0: Well, yeah, that's right. That's right because yeah. they won uh, 5 years after the Eels last one is the first victory for the uh the Panthers and since then we've seen three victories. So look
1: um yeah, uh and, that, and look, that... congratulations to Ashley 81st minute Klein uh <laughs> for uh for <laughs> becoming the referee. The but look, like uh, I think I heard Bruni say this. Look, actually, Klein being the referee is fantastic because it just means that he won't be in the bunker,
0: <laughs> right? Well, actually, Jared Sutton is not in the bunker. I think uh, Grant Atkins. Grant Atkins is. So look, the curse of Sutton has been lifted, Eels fans. We <laughs> may be in with a chance. Sutton is nowhere to be seen. Uh, if as long as we can weather the Klein storm. Uh, mm. We we might be in with a chance, but look, yeah, look. Obviously, we we are on different sides on this one in terms of our tips. I genuinely think that the eels will win this one. It's not just my heart talking. I I genuinely think that they they are coming good at the right time. Uh, it's not going to be easy, and it could it could go either way. But I genuinely think that uh that everything is coming together. The way uh, you but my final point, and then we'll move on to the next tackle is uh you know when I saw the uh, you know, Sean Lane, who had a blinder in the last game, they were following him, Camera, the cameras are following him on the field. He just pointed, uh, put, stuck his finger up and said, one more, one more. I think he's saying, you know, one more to go. We're not getting mm. too excited. We we know there's a job. Job's not done, as they say. Job's oh, okay. not finished. And so... What
1: well, was he saying? This is the last one. This is the
0: last one. I think, one. Or, yeah, or maybe he's thinking, one, <laughs> I need to go to the toilet one more time and then we can go home. I don't know. Who knows? But look, I, I genuinely look to me. It's the vibe is there with the eels. I hadn't. I don't think that that same vibe was there in the last grand final that they were in. I think it was more just the brilliance Relief of Hayne. Yeah, yeah. And this time it's about belief and uh, and you know, look, it's a good segue because we are going to talk about the NRLW grand final next for tackle number three, and the eels are in that as well. So here we go, tackle number three. All right. The NRLW Grand Final will be held on as a precursor to the men's Grand Final on, on uh, the 2nd of October. And it will be between the Newcastle Knights and the Parramatta Eels. So the Newcastle Knights in the preliminary, in the semifinals, whatever you want to call it, beat the Dragons 30 points to six. It was a, a smashing five tries to one. Uh, great performance. They were 18-6 at halftime. And they went on with it, you know, 12-0 in the second half. So 30 points to six. Uh, completely, uh, you know, Midley Boyle, one of the key stars there, of course. Um, but I want to focus on the Eels game because the Eels game was uh, a tad more difficult. The Eels just snuck into the top four uh, and and had a famous victory against the Broncos uh, in, in the previous round, uh, previous week, to make it to this semi-final. And it was one v four. Roosters had been undefeated up until this point, and as we spoke about last week, they were uh, the bookies were all over the roosters to uh, to to make uh, make it possibly two in a row uh, in in grand final victories. But the eels' performance, uh, the the girls twenty four to ten, they were twelve uh, four up at half time, and and just went on with it. And uh, look, I. Watching this game, I have to admit it was. Uh, let me just so go to the stats first. Four tries to two, um, and uh, and and really, uh, it was four tries to one at one point. So so really, it, were it not for a consolation try, sort of close to the end, uh, it would have been you know it was a bigger blowout than what it deserved to be, I think. Um, uh, but look, the Eels were, I would say, completely dominant of the Roosters. I thought. They had such great cover defence. Uh, you know, their players, uh, there, were, there were so many players that, that contributed to this victory. To me, there, were, there were, were at least two that stood out. One was the prop, uh, what's her name? Kennedy Cherrington was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, obviously, the captain, uh, Simema Taufa, who uh, also won uh, a Dally M Award, I think, for lock of the year, uh, was, was great. But i got to hand it to the fullback. Gail Broughton was absolutely outstanding. If, if, if you only get to see one Eels match or one NRLW match uh, this year, have a look at how she played at, at fullback. She was absolutely unbelievable, constantly broke the line, Uh, had a really great uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, constantly backing up, uh, being there. You know, we talked about the great players in the past like Steve Menzies and Terry Lamb, who used to always be there. You know, Tommy Turbo is is the equivalent of that nowadays. Uh, You know, always is there when there's a break on. You can always rest assured Tommy Turbo is there so you can pass the team to score under the black dot. And Gail Broughton kind of had... uh, had that has that level of dominance, and look, the Roosters, you know, they had Jessica Sergis, Isabel Kelly. They've got some really great players. They've got Racine McGregor as well, which I'll talk about soon. And and they they were just completely outclassed by this Eels lineup. Now, why do I mention that? Because we were just talking before with the men's game around. The, the belief in themselves and and everything I've read from these girls uh, in the media after this game tells me that they've got a similar level of belief in each other. They were, comp- you know, don't forget, they they defeated an undefeated team. They were completely unfancied. They were way, way outsiders in terms of the betting and, and a lot of the media and, and uh, sort of wrote, wrote them off completely. But they completely dominated the Roosters. And I think 24 to 10 flatters the Roosters. It probably could have been even a greater scoreline against them. Um, Really great performance. And I think if the Eels take that sense of belief, just as the men are hopefully going to do, I am predicting that the Eels will defeat the Knights. Um, We are talking second place versus fourth place. But as I said, in that last match, it didn't matter whether it was first versus fourth or whatever. The Eels play that level of intensity. Um, look, the Knights did as well, I must admit, but I think uh, I did, there was something about the way that the Eels really took it to the top place, the top-ranked team, uh, the Roosters, and really gave it to them when it mattered. And uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that if they keep it up, then I'm going to predict a double Eels victory this weekend, which I think I will. Tish, do you have any thoughts on uh, the NRLW Grand Final?
1: Well, I think obviously. Firstly, congratulations to the Parramatta Eels, as well as the uh, Newcastle um, Knights, Nightingales. I don't know, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> Knights. Um, for yeah, is there is there another name for a knight? Knights can be female, can't they? I, I think. I, I think, think
0: so. Yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah, but so that that's fine. But look, um what, what this game does will mean is that there'll be a new club. Uh well, one of these clubs will win their first premiership, right? Because yep, yep. um, you know, it's been uh dominated in the first few years with Brisbane. Now dominate now you had the Roosters in twenty twenty one, uh, which I think was in twenty twenty two, but we could Skip that for a bit, but then we've got these two teams now, and we have the expansion to ten clubs next season, which is also going to be super exciting because I think you're going to get a lot more games, and um and and hopefully to see more young talent. Obviously, Parramatta have had a a really good uh, last two to three weeks, um you know, obviously culminating in the final grand final this week. You know, sort of turn this season around. Um, I know it's a very short season, but they've got there, and I think Newcastle have been one of the one of the big teams throughout the whole competition, and you know still look like a dominant force here. Uh, look, I um, I unfortunately look like heading towards a dumb and whammy for the Eels. I think they, I think the Knights <laughs> just with the stellar season, their lineup, their experience. I, I think the knights will will uh, will take this one out. Unfortunately, uh, a repeat of what happened in the two thousand and one men's season, right? Is <laughs> okay. oh no, you
0: reminded me of that. Oh no, <laughs>
1: okay. Look,
0: yeah, playing with slightly, fire di- slightly different though, because I think the eels were not dominant. Uh, the, the women were not dominant like they are. Uh, like, like they were in 2001. So, slightly different, but I get what you're saying. It's a, it's a matchup that is not good for us. <laughs> Put it that way.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so there we go. But it should be good, and it's a, a great... Uh, you know, I think there's another game as well, like, um, you know, the two... Uh, the Northern... You know, the, um, the Queensland Cup versus the New South Wales Cup winner. But I think this game is going to be a great preview towards the grand final this Sunday. It's going to make the festivities even much better. So, uh, yeah, so I think well done to both these teams in making it.
0: All right. And we are going to go to the Super League UK Grand Final result, tackle number four. Here we go. All right. So very quickly, the UK Super League has ended at Old Trafford, Manchester, in front of a crowd of 60,783. The St. Helens Saints were triumphant, 24 to 12 over the Leeds Rhinos. Unfortunately, our man Blake Austin at 5'8 was nowhere to be seen. (laughs) Instead, his counterpart, Johnny Lomax, won man of the match. St. Helens, three tries, sorry, four tries to two. 24 to 12, obviously, uh, tries to Lees, Benison, Hurrell, and Percival. The Leeds Leeming and Martin were the try scorers. Um, 24 to 12, St Helens were dominant from the get go. Uh, really didn't look like losing at all. So well done to St Helens. Christian Wolf is obviously the coach of uh, St Helens is leaving to go to where? Where is he going to? Is he going to the Dolphins? The Dolphins, of course, the Dolphins. Now, the interesting thing is he goes with a very strong record because uh, I believe he was part of the – well, they have won the last four UK Super League premierships in a row. So they've won – I believe, if if I'm not mistaken, it's four in a row. So 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022 – Uh, which you know in total brings their number of championships to 17 i think they're one of uh one of the greatest winning sides in uh uk rugby league history uh i don't actually know where they rank compared to the others i would guess wigan would be up there probably with more wins but look congratulations to saint helens totally deserved it they've you know, they've had a dominant team all year. At the end of the uh, the, the season, they finished first with f- 42 points, and they had a, a points differential for and against of plus 300. So they, they were so dominant. The Leeds runners came fifth at the end of the regular season. So when you look at it that way, you know, the minor premiers winning that final game when it counts in front of a big crowd... Uh, well done to St Helens. Well done to Christian Wolf. Well done to everyone, uh, and Johnny Lomax for man of the match. I think it was a Harry, a Harry Sunderland Trophy, I believe they call it. Mm. Um, and and yeah, so I don't know if you saw if you saw that. I saw the highlights of it, uh, and and it was a pretty good performance. I mean, uh, not much you can say. They're they're a clinical team, and and I think hopefully Christian will bring that kind of level of uh, coaching. You know discipline to the Dolphins when he starts up with them next year. Tish, any, any thoughts on this before we move on?
1: Well, look, um, just on John, uh, look, obviously, well done to St. Helens. Um, uh, such a great dominant team and a team that's actually been able to uh, rotate themselves as well because they've actually lost quite a number of players back into the NRL, a few players retiring, but they've still been able to, to keep on winning, which is, been been great. And look, I yeah, look, I did see highlights like yourself. And I've got to say that uh some of the tries that St. Helen scored through some some really good mastery from Johnny Lomax. Um, he looks like the real deal when it comes to a, a you know a halfback. I think he could also play fullback as well. Um and you know, uh so looking forward to seeing if he will be, you know, representing England in the world cup and to see how he's going to go against the best of the best. Um, And I think there's also Morgan Knowles, um, you know, got a one match ban could potentially miss a world cup match um, due to this. And I think there's a bit of controversy um, with some of his suspensions. I think there's a couple of suspensions that he is going to be serving next year. So he'll play in the world cup, that kind of mess. So yeah, look, if you thought that the NRL uh, judiciary, the match review committee and all the suspensions was crazy. i think I think it's not just a problem in the in this in the NRL. It's a problem globally in rugby league right how players get um suspended treated and, and you know and how the rules get in the way of 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 great stuff.
0: Absolutely. All right, we are now going to switch gears a little bit and talk in tackle number five about the DALI M's, and we have the results that we're going to reveal. Here we go. Yes, the NRL's Night of Nights, and I'm not talking about the Eels' Mad Monday celebrations. I'm talking <laughs> about the Dal M Awards, the prestigious. Forget your black. What do they call it? The brown, black, brown lows. They call it. Oh, I don't even know what they call it over there in the AFL. Sorry, mm-hmm. I got to wash my mouth out. I've just said AFL Daly M's, where is where it's really at? The Rugby League Awards Night of Nights, mm. conveniently or inconveniently played during Grand Final week. That completely disrupts both teams. But anyway, it is what it is, and uh, they've just been played tonight. They've just been announced, uh, uh, and and all the awards. will go through them. There's a lot to get through, so I'm going to roll through them before I reveal the final one, which is who won the actual DLM. So the Proven Summons Medal for the People's Choice uh, for the men's it went to Nico Hines, uh, and and that came for his. Uh, he gave a mental health speech after the shock death of Paul Green. So that was the reason why he was nominated for that. Um, And Tony Hunt from the NRLW won that award. Coach of the Year for the NRL is Todd Payton of the Cowboys. Congratulations from last to first, eh? Uh, Well, close enough, last to second. Uh, And John Strange from uh, the Sydney Roosters in the NRLW. Congratulations there. Captain of the Year, Isaiah Yeo from the Panthers, and Isabel Kelly from the Sydney Roosters. Ken Irvine medal for top try scorer was Alex Johnston. Obviously, he's been top try scorer for a while. Rookie of the year in the NRL is Jeremiah Nanai, and for the NRLW is Jesse Southwell. Congratulations to both. Top point scorer, Valentine Holmes for the NRL and Zahara Tamara for the NRLW. Uh, some extra awards. Tackle of the year goes to Mitchell Moses. I think that great one against was a Kenny Bromwich uh, in uh, in the, the last game of the season. And try of the year. Uh, two tries. Uh, one to Mari Talangi and Scott Drinkwater uh, for their tries. Well done. Now, uh, the team of the year. WM NRL team of the year. Uh, let's start with the women's one first, and then I'll announce the men's one. The, for the NRL women, the fullback was Sam Bremner of the Roosters. The wingers were Tegan Berry from the Dragons and Jamie Chapman from the Broncos. Centres were Isabel Kelly and Jessica Serges from the Roosters. 5-8, Taran from the Broncos. Halfback, Racine McGregor from the Roosters. At lock Simema Taufa from the Eels. Second row, Keely Joseph and uh, from the Dragons and Olivia Koenig from the Roosters. The hook are Keely Davis from the Dragons and Prop. We have Caitlin Johnson from the Knights and Millie Boyle from the Knights. A lot of those names quite familiar to those of you guys who've listened to us during the year where we've talked about the NRLW. And the NRL uh, team of the year, uh, Dallium team of the year, at fullback, we have James Tedesco. On the wings, we have Joseph Suali'i and Alex Johnston. In the centres, Joseph Manu and Valentine Holmes. At 5'8", we have Cameron Munster, halfback Nico Hines, prop we have Joseph Tapine and Payne Haas. Uh, at prop, and hooker Apikorosau, second row, William Kikau and Jeremiah Nanai. And at lock, we have Isaiah Yo. And the big award goes to, for the women, it's uh, the halfback... Racine Johnston. No, so Racine McGregor, sorry, Racine McGregor from the Roosters won the NRLW uh Dallien player of the year. Congratulations, Racine. She her story was interesting because she, you know, found herself with no club, I think, at the beginning of the year, and then the Roosters took her up. And then the rest is history. She, you know, deserve fully deserves her place there and and uh, and really helped them to get to where they got to. But um, And finally, look, the NRL Men's uh, Dallium Player of the Year goes to Nico Hines. So Nico, uh, there was a, a tight tussle there at the end between Nico and James Tedesco, who won, I think, like four man-of-the-match performances in a row towards the end of the season. So he kind of shot up the, uh, the ladder and towards the end, there it was uh, too little too late because Nico Hines uh, kept winning those Man of the Match awards. I think it's fair to say he was uh, the best player, definitely in Cronulla, one of the, the best buyer of the year for sure. And he has such a, an interesting, humble approach to life. He brought his, his mum with him to the Daliem uh, Awards. He was very grateful to his family, um, uh, you know, and and to even his former club. He even gave a call out to the Melbourne Storm for giving him his first opportunity in first grade. Such a humble bloke and and really, you know, well done and congratulations. Um, and uh, the other thing of note is that Nico Hines not only won Dalian Player of the Year Award, but his uh, margin of victory in the number of points that he ended up getting – was the largest number of points in history, and considering we've had fewer games than we've had in the past, um, that is no mean feat. So, really, well done to Nico Hines, and and everyone else who who I just announced uh, who had uh, who won that those awards. Tish, Nico Hines, I'll, I'll let you have the final say. Uh, well deserved, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Well, look. Um, sometimes with the M's you think, well. Um, that's great. This player's won, and I'm sure he's had a great season, but their team didn't make the finals, right? Or their team went backwards or something like that. Um, But this player had a great game. But I think with Nico Hines, you know, not only did he have a great season, but I think he helped the Sharks have a great season too. So I think, yeah, definitely a a great time to win the award. I think a great award to win. Is he the best? So does Dalian mean that he is the best player in the NRL at the moment? Well, I think the guy that came second, James Tedesco, might have a bit of an argument towards that. But it does show that Nico Hines has definitely got to the elite level. So, um, so yes, I'm not 100% sure if you could necessarily call him the best player in the NRL, but I think he definitely... Now uh, look, I suppose this is uh you know, he's had a great season, right? And this is a celebration for, for that. So so that's where that sort of lies. And uh yeah, as far as the rest of the winners, I think uh yeah, again, everybody's super deserving. So I don't think you can say much. Um the only the only one that I'd probably throw a little bit of a of a of a uh, sort of suggestion around is that um you know, you've got Jeremiah Nani, who was, you know, it was a rookie of the year for him. Um, it was his first season. Um, but you know, in the past, the rookie of the year has also gone to players who have had at least one or two games in the previous season, and it's been their first first season this year. And you know, if you if that was extended out this year, the other player that I thought was in contention that might be a bit unlucky to have missed out is uh, Lachlan Ilias who only played one game for the Rabbitohs last year, and now he's played the full season for the Rabbitohs this year. And, you know, the Rabbitohs have finished, um, you know, fairly close to what they did with Adam Reynolds, right? So the apprenticeship is going well (laughs) for Lachlan Ilya. So maybe he's probably the only one that I could think of that that could be sort of... I mean, I'm sure there are other players disappointed, but apart from that, I don't really see too many other things. You know, it is of note, a little bit that the Roosters, who finished what fifth, would they finish fifth or sixth? sixth? Sixth, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. um, they have uh the highest number of players in, in the top line, um, equal with the Panthers, who obviously finished in front. Um, and then you've got you know teams like the Storm, who've had a great season. Um, the Cowboys that have had a great season with only like two or three names in there. Do you know what I mean? Even well, in fact, Nico Hines is the young Shark in the, in that whole uh, team of the, in a team of the year type thing. Um, you know, this is a a, a journalistic uh, endeavor sometimes, so you just wonder if <laughs> some teams get a little, uh, you know, uh, you know, if it, the team that they play for pushes them to. To, to get at one point when they would have got no points and somebody else in the other team less favorable gets it there. Um, you know, just putting it out there.
0: I I put something else out there for you, uh, which is that the only player... First of all, there were no Eels players at one that were part of the team of the year. Mm. And the only player that even got nominated, meaning that they were, they were within striking distance in terms of points, the only player was uh yeah, Dylan Brown. Now Mitchell Moses was in the kind of uh was up there for a while in the final uh you know with number of points I think he actually ended up getting uh 22 points. So he ended up coming 6th or whatever. But for some reason he wasn't nominated as halfback of the year <laughs> at all. So look, you know and Dylan Brown was was nominated. So again how they do the nominations I'm not sure, but I think uh, it's fair to say that yeah the Eels, by not featuring very much at all in, in this, kind of tells you that it is very much a team game for the Eels. And I think, uh, look, that's going to get me to segue yeah. into the final tackle.
1: And, and, and look, I think Todd Payton is, is deserving of the coach of the year, right? But then if you think about it, coming from second last to sort of the top four, uh, he's won the Spelling Bee, right? But Brad Arthur has endured the examination, <laughs> right, of expectation and got his team to the grand final. Like, shouldn't that be a consideration there a little bit? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Completely agree. Look, let me segue that into the tips. Here we go. tackle on number six. All right, so heading into the, the final week, we've got, uh, you got two out of five last week. I got three out of five. That brings me to 145, and you are still ahead, 146, which means it's all down to our tips on grand final day, Tish. <laughs> oh, no. Three games to go. Uh, look, we can probably keep it going into World Cup. Why don't we do that? Mm. But look, uh, if it's just NRL... Uh, which it isn't really, so let's just keep it going, but at least until NRL Grand Final Day. Um, Three games, NRL State Championship, NRL Women's and NRL Men's Grand Finals. So three games this weekend. Um, We've talked, let's go backwards. Uh, Panthers and Eels, the men's game. I think it's clear to say, last chance, I'm tipping the Eels, you are tipping the Panthers, correct? Correct. All right, in the women's, I'm tipping the Eels and you are tipping the Knights, is that correct? Correct. Correct. So it's all down to this one. No, well, it's, it's down to the other one. So already we're different. NRL State Championship, Panthers representing New South Wales Cup winners, and North's Devils, the Queensland Super Cup winners. Uh, I'm tipping the Panthers on this one because I think the Panthers have a very strong, uh, you know, all across the board. Mm. And uh, potentially they could end up winning the men's uh, and the NRL State Championship uh, on the same day. But I. I Hoping not, but obviously I'll I'll let the Panthers win this one. What about you? Yeah, look,
1: I'm tipping the Panthers. My theory is that this year, when there's been injuries for the Panthers, they've always been able to still keep winning. So obviously, their second grade team must be as as good as any other NRL team, right? So yes, I think the Panthers um, are are good for this one. So, but again, a really good clash to see how these two teams will go.
0: Absolutely, and look, that wraps up our epic 250th sesquicentenary plus centenary (laughs) episode uh, of this podcast. Thanks so much, everyone for listening, for sticking with us for 250. Uh, May we have 250 more Tish over to you to wrap this one up. And, and by the way, enjoy grand final day, everyone. Hopefully it's an epic one, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. uh, Let's enjoy rugby league for what it is. And hopefully we'll get some purely great spectacles uh, in all three grades, all three games. Uh, Tish, over
1: to you to wrap this up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. I'd like to thank everybody for listening um, to this special edition of the Rugby League Republic, uh, our 250th show and the 2022 NRL Grand Final preview show. Um, obviously, Daylight Saving also finishes in New South Wales and Victoria or starts, I'm not so sure. So please wind your clock back, clocks forward one hour, except for people in Queensland. Please don't do anything. Um, and um, don't touch your clock Queensland but look, um, but that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.